Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. So welcome to the Delicious Legacy podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for having me here. And uh, for our listeners, um, you're Ursula Janssen. And um, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and because um, you are an archaeologist, a culinary historian, and an author. Um, it would be interesting to know a bit more about um, your background. Which one was first? Which one came first? The archaeologist came first. I mean, I'm a... I'm a trained archaeologist. I'm a Near Eastern uh, archaeologist, actually. I uh, have a PhD in, in Near Eastern archaeology. And uh, I used to work uh, mainly in uh, Syria and in other countries around. And obviously in the last years, because of the political situation and the ongoing wars, this has become increasingly difficult. Um, yeah. I am originally from Germany, but I haven't lived in Germany for many, many years. And uh, instead, I've been living a little bit around the world in several countries in the Middle East and in Africa as well. Also because of uh, my husband's job, who is a photojournalist. So we've mm. always tried to combine our our jobs as, a, as an archaeologist and as a photojournalist. And um, seven years ago... We were living in Egypt at the time. Things became a little too difficult there, especially for my husband as a journalist. Yeah. And so we decided to move to southern Italy, which seems maybe in the beginning an odd choice. But although my husband is Iranian, he has studied in Italy. So that was kind of the, the second home. We were always already going every summer and so on. Mm. And uh, this is the point where I actually tried to seriously work on culinary archaeology or culinary history. Before, I've always loved to cook. I've always done it like this a little bit. But this is when I started to, to, to perceive that path a little more serious. Yeah. Seriously. And, uh, well, yes. And... Then it came more or less uh, at the same time with writing. But this is another weird story that happened that I was uh, writing an article for the Italian issue of National Geographic about the history of interreligious cohabitation in Italy, you know, the uh, uh, medieval Sicily, these kind of things. And it turned out that I found the, the subject so interesting that I wanted to pursue this issue 
more further. And so I wrote a novel about it and I found out that I like that. Mm. So since then, I'm also writing novels and cookbooks. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's how it came. And um, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Trullo and uh, your projects there and what's, are you like a B&B? with food and people cook uh, or you cook for them yes exactly yes i have also i have a small uh, bed and breakfast here in uh, in puglia in southern italy and i i hold uh, cooking workshops workshops about uh, ancient cuisine and uh, also i simply cook for people and yeah it's, we we live <laughs> yeah. the things we are we are doing let's let's put it like this because we also grow a lot of the products ourselves that are used then we have uh, we make our own wine we make our own olive oil all these kind of things oh wow <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff uh, that uh, yeah i think i'm dreaming about <laughs> doing one day <laughs> yeah i can recommend it <laughs> yeah <laughs> great great <laughs> um yeah, I mean, it's it's a difficult thing to do, obviously, to grow your own grapes and make your own wine and make your own olive oil. But I guess it's so rewarding and the it taste is. must be so fresh and different. Yes, and you know what you're really eating and drinking. That's It's the good thing about mm. it. It's... Mm. Do you find, uh, I think we're, kind of, we're probably diverting a little bit now, but do you find um, the climate, uh, climate change um, in southern Italy, in Puglia, a bit more difficult from year to year for things, things getting drier or mm. or is it okay at the moment? It's a little difficult to tell. I mean, the, the last years were a little more wet, but I think the climate is more stable here uh, than it is in Central Europe, for example, because of the mm. seas. We still are, I mean, we are surrounded here by two seas, you know, when Puglia is the basically the heel of the boot. So I have two seas. If I go to one side half an hour, I have a sea. If I go half an hour to the other side, I have a sea. It's like, it's like a peninsula. And that's yeah. why the, the climate is much more stable than in other places. So we haven't had too much of an effect yet, but I fear it's coming, yeah. Mm. Okay, well... Thanks for that. I mean, yeah, it's always interesting to 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 see from the people on the ground what they feel when they, when they know about these things because we live in a city and we don't know. We just read everything, yeah. and sometimes it's, it's good to gauge different opinions and from the people that actually work with the land. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> moving on uh, from here, um, you, you always cooked ancient food, right? And over the years. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. So what was um, the first um, cuisine or recipes that um, attracted you? Like, was ancient classical Rome and Greece or Mesopotamia or ancient Egypt? What was, or medieval, more medieval Europe? No, being a Near Eastern archaeologist, of course, I also studied cuneiforms. Mm. So I actually entered the subject via the Yale culinary tablets. Ah, okay. Ancient Mesopotamian food, that is, yes. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. I remember I did a, an episode about Mesopotamian food, and yeah, it's really interesting that we we sort of have sort of recipes from 
like you know, four thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. It's incredible yeah. <laughs> that something survived from so long ago. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and so did you? Did you manage to cook some stuff from um, the Yale tablets? Yes, I did. I did. Uh, and I mean, the point is, the further you go back in time, more and more, the recipes become vague, right? Like, as you mm. must know that very well, as uh, very well, too. Um, because not only like with recipes from classical antiquity that they don't give amounts or cooking times or any of these, but also some of the words are a little unclear. So it's... Uh, usually clear what category they are in like this is a kind of leek or onion but what exactly it is is unclear which is mm. on the other hand great for a cook you can be really creative you can uh, make it in a way that you would think that it might work well but of course i i don't i think it's impossible to really recreate it a hundred percent because we don't yeah. know so much but anyways, it makes mm. tasty foods and it gives us an idea about the concept of cooking, even if not all the ingredients are exactly right. But I think we get yeah. a good idea about what it might be. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, the point is, as, as cooks and as people, we always adapt it to our current tastes. Of course, right? exactly. So we have, yeah... Yeah, and also it's just interesting to see. Yeah, and also the vegetables itself. Even if uh, uh, um, we are using the same vegetable, it has changed so much. Even the same, I also mm. say for later periods for ancient Roman cuisine, if they say cabbage, it's not the same cabbages that we are used to today. Things have have changed. Uh, um, I remember that uh, uh, eggplants have changed in my own lifetime. They were more bitter uh -huh. when I was a child. Yeah, and true. so imagine in two thousand years what has happened, and then imagine in four thousand years what have happened. What has happened? So these kind of leeks and radishes, they are not the same. Mm, yeah, true, true. I mean, a lot of things from pictures and from mosaics and so on, we can see them that they look like what they should be, but obviously a lot of them they have changed as well. The taste yeah. surely is completely different, and some some of them they look actually. Uh, as you said, the cabbage. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did, I, think, I think it was cabbage that looked a bit more like kale. Yes, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, these round, the firm cabbages, they came later. Yeah. Mm. Do you know when, uh, when about the period they came roughly? Or do you have an idea? It doesn't matter if you don't. Yeah. Uh, I think it's... Um... It's, it's, it, they were yeah, recreated recre in, in medieval times, but now also, this is, of course, another thousand years to go. So I, I couldn't pinpoint yeah. it uh, more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a vast, it's a vast time if you, if you think about it. <laughs> uh, I always uh, thought, um, you know, like 500 years ago, it was relatively recent. <laughs> because, you know, reading about history in ancient Greece and Rome, you know, you go back two, three thousand years exactly. ago. Exactly. And 500 years ago, it's so recent, but really in terms of of uh, humans and our generations, you know, things change from one generation to another, let alone. They do, <laughs> in, they do. Yeah. What's that, like 30 generations? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 10 generations, 15 generations, yeah, it's That's a lot. different. It's a lot, it's a lot, exactly. Um, yeah, so you started writing, obviously you wrote like a novel, and then uh, from the novel onwards, you went to write... Um, some cookbooks, right? 
And more novels. <laughs> more novels. <laughs> and more novels as yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, and we are novels, talking of, of the last roughly seven years, so I've had some time mm. to, to do things. Yeah. And living in the countryside <laughs> gives you peace of mind. That is very <sighs> nice. <laughs> That's so good. Um, which uh, cookbook came first, the Garum or the Biblical? Garum. Garum came first. Mm. Um, yeah, if you want to talk a little bit about um, yeah. that... Yeah. Of course, uh, Garum is a cookbook that gives a little bit an, an overview over recipes throughout history until the Renaissance period. It starts in ancient Mesopotamia, mm-hmm. and uh, then I uh, I actually skip Greece. I must say, <laughs> I must mm-hmm. admit. No, I go to ancient Rome. Um, which is uh, mainly the recipes uh, of the cookbook of Apicius, which is yeah. the most the, the the biggest collection that we have. It also has some uh, some things from Cato the Elder, of course. Then in the Middle Ages, I uh, do both uh, recipes from the Middle East, the medieval Middle East. Because I, yeah. I always had this also, I, I lived in the Middle East. My husband is Iranian, actually. So I have a vast uh, family of in-laws of Iranians, very good cooks also. Yeah. And um, then I go to the European Middle Ages. And the more we move on in time, the more recipes there are simply. And then the Renaissance, they're mainly specialized on uh, also the Mediterranean region not only but um yeah let's say i i i I, there are a lot that are actually come from italy in that time and uh as i live here and this is the mediterranean style of cooking i've concentrated more on that than let's say the british islands yeah yeah did you find a lot of recipes uh, with garum through all this like renaissance period or in middle east and so on yeah, well, in, in, oh. in, in ancient Rome, everything is with garum. Yeah. Right? It's quite terrible. I mean, I, I did all these <laughs> uh, recipes. Obviously, I, I, I cooked them all. And at a certain po- uh, point, my family said, please, stop garum. We can't see that stuff anymore. <laughs> and I started to replace it with soy sauce, which is actually very nice. So I recommend it yeah. even for people for vegetarian recipes, for example. Yeah. If people don't want to yeah, use uh, fish sauce, that mm. they can use uh, soy sauce. Yeah. Then in uh, the midi in the yeah medieval Middle East, yeah, um, a type of garum was also used, the fish sauce. But even more common was uh, another sauce. It was called murri, mm-hmm. and murri is also a fermented sauce made from barley. I have recreated that as well. It is quite salty. Maybe I put a little bit too much salt. Even it's, yeah. but even garum is quite salty, um, and um, yeah, it is. This comes also relatively close to soy sauce. I mean, we have mm. this these barley sauces. Um, you get them in Europe commercially. There's a very similar. I don't want to say the brand now. Uh, that mm-hmm. is sold as a soup uh, enhancer, whatever. And right, this is also right. made from fermented wheat or barley. So it is pretty close to 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 that. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know about this, actually, about this fermented barley from the Middle East. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> Jonah, um, 
tell us um, a little bit about it, or if you have some information about it. The Murri? Yeah, the Murri. Yeah. The Murri. Yeah, well, the, the Murri process, uh, I actually, I, I made a video about it. I have it on my YouTube channel. Okay. It is quite a long process, like it is with all fermentations. And mm. like the barley, you, uh, you grind it, you soak it, you uh, uh, pack it into fig leaves. The um, fungi on the fig leaves help the fermentation process. And yeah. then later you dry that paste and then you, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a laborious process. process. And exactly. in the end yeah. you have like a, yeah, a dark salty sauce. And this is, um, uh, talking about Middle East in general, you have some more specific area that it came from. Uh, where do we, where do we find the recipe uh, for it? Well, um, most of the recipes like, uh, <laughs> Again, with most historical recipes, they come from from the courts. So what, right. we have them from the centers of power. We have them from Baghdad and we have them from Cairo, mm -hmm. which means it is not clear where many of these recipes really originated from, but they were adopted by the courts yeah. at that time. Uh, for example, in the Baghdad uh, recipes, there is quite a strong Persian influence for example, yeah. that you can see. Yeah, great, great. And um, uh, then uh, we go back to uh, like Europe, medieval Europe and mm -hmm. then Renaissance. But uh, from my understanding, from my reading is obviously the, the what we call Fissos Garum was used a lot in the Byzantine Empire, uh, mm -hmm. the Eastern Roman Empire, as we call, properly call it. Uh, yeah. But then kind of disappeared from the Western cuisine. It uh, did, at some point. completely. It did completely. Uh, well, except for here near Naples, you still have one place where they make, it's called Colatura di Alici, and uh, it is still made, this is what I use for, for garum, actually. Yeah. And uh, nice. it is, there are a few pasta recipes that use it, but not much. But apart from this, yes, it completely vanished. And the taste also shifted more towards the sweet and sour. Mm. Okay. You have that a lot, a lot in this time. Of course, it also has to do uh, with the um, the idea of the four humors. Right. That a balanced meal is a meal. This is also already true for for the Romans, but this is this is then passed on to medieval times. Although with shifting uh, with shifting tastes. But still, the idea is the same. Uh, a meal that incorporates all tastes is a balanced meal. So it's a healthy meal because it keeps the balances within your body. Mm. That okay. is the idea behind it. And this is where you have all these meat dishes with honey and vinegar and salt. And well, in Roman side, uh, times, that would have been fish sauce. And then later, it's more salt simply yeah okay <laughs> fantastic yeah exactly i mean this uh, this combination of sweets and sour and salty and mm. all that uh, kind of yeah it was very prominent back then then uh, i suppose disappeared for some period uh, and then nowadays obviously we still we kind of rediscovered it a little bit with with uh, the far exactly cuisine, exactly haven't we 
Yeah. It is actually great. It is it is really good. And kids love it a lot as well. <laughs> ah, that's interesting. That's good. Good to know. <laughs> um so you, you did say about uh, Renaissance period. Uh, uh, can you tell us briefly a couple of things, um, like recipes with yeah. garum or sort of similar stuff from that period? Like if you can mention a couple of things here and there. Yeah, no, garum we don't have at all anymore. Um, I mean, Renaissance cuisine is not radically different from medieval cuisine, but you have uh, a shift of the focus more towards the the quality of the single ingredients, uh, a little more to our modern cuisine, let's say. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, this is the time where the first uh, ingredients from the Americas carefully appeared, but they still were not common at all. Mm. You might have them as an exotic oddity, but for example, uh, the tomato, many the, the symbol of Italian cuisine, it exactly. wasn't really incorporated into uh, Italian cuisine until the 19th century. So after its arrival, it took another 400 years to, to really get commonly eaten. Yeah. Um, what is special about Renaissance dishes? Well, of course, we have to say, like, with all historical dishes, of course, what we have are the dishes of of the rich and wealthy like mm. always because what what farmers ate uh daily was not deemed worthy to be written down although the more you move in time the more you get also a little more common meals let's say the ones of a of a wealthy merchant in town these kind of yeah. stuff get exactly. gets yeah. written gets written down by the time um, what we have in Renaissance, uh, more even than in medieval times, is spices. Because the spice trade becomes more and more. Their exotic spices are still hilariously expensive, but little less so than previously. And uh, what we have in these recipes that were actually written down is an incredible abundance of cinnamon. <laughs> they put cinnamon into everything. <laughs> of course <laughs> you have to tell your guests that you are rich enough you can afford cinnamon and exactly <laughs> yeah that on was everything. really really important apparently <laughs> yeah <laughs> great and so i want to move um yeah i want to move maybe perhaps to your other cookbook yeah um which is a biblical cookbook and you have a recipes you have 40 recipes from uh yeah uh, I guess, yeah. Yeah, from, from the, the time of the Bible, exactly. From so the time of the Bible, yeah. I wanted to return a little um, to the ancient Near East because that's my original area of, of study. And yeah. um, we have uh, from... As, as real recipe collections, we only have those Yale Mesopotamian tablets, which are... Yeah, old Babylonian tablets from southern Mesopotamia, so it's quite limited. And I wanted to do a little more the uh, the wider Near East, meaning the Levant, and uh, as the most best-known book of the time, and that place is the Bible, yeah. I thought it would be a good, uh, uh, um, let's say, anchor yeah. 
to to connect with that time because if i if i call it um, antique recipes from the levant nobody would would know what it is mm-hmm. and um actually then i started to with that idea in mind i started to actually look into the bible where there are references to food and there are quite a lot of references to food of course there are it's not a recipe book they are not real recipes but uh, we, we we get a good idea together with other with historical accounts together with the archaeological account really what people ate and then with the time of the bible the point is i don't mean only the Holy Land, but also Babylonia, Egypt, Persia, Asia Minor, Greece, Rome, the whole, because it's quite also the Bible, the time of the Bible is quite a vast time, and also it covers quite a large area. So with that in mind, I could, with references from the Bible, compile 40 recipes, and that it was it is about from prehistoric times to to classical Rome. Yeah. Yeah, that's, as, as an area, it's a, it's, a, it's a vast area, obviously, all this near Middle East and Eastern Mediterranean, yes. but it has been connected, interconnected, and, and people traded with each other for many thousand years before Christ. So we have evidence of influences from all these different peoples and tribes and uh, merchants and nations yeah th- there are elements that they kind of uh, connect one place with another and uh, you have ingredients that, that travel uh, far and wide and through time i believe as well so we have an influence and we got I, I believe we can see that influence from back then yes exactly <laughs> until today. exactly yeah so the main ingredients i guess will have um Pomegranates, figs, uh, wine, grapes, olive oil, olives, Correct. right? Wheat and barley also as... Uh, and then you have the legumes, course. you have chickpeas and lentils mainly. And these things are, yeah, staples yeah. up to today, basically. They and are. It's, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful <laughs> thing, I think, <laughs> to think that you have a connection with the past, but also that we are all very similar. We have, we have this connection between us. We're not so different. <laughs> We are not at all. Actually, this is the nice thing about the medieval uh, cuisine. You can see how the um, cuisine of the Middle East influences Europe. Mm. How really dishes come over from via the Mediterranean and they move on north. And you have them really in those recipe, recipe, uh, recipe collections. They start in the Middle East and then they move on north. Right. Okay. How how did you find that? I mean, through the recipes itself, like copies. Yes, through the recipes themselves. It's uh, Sometimes they even uh, keep an uh, in, in Arabic name. For example, the Rumania that we have from a Spanish cookbook. Often they come also, of course, via Spain because Andalusia and so on. But then from there they move on north. Yeah. Um, which means pomegranate sauce. Or a very nice uh, example is the sikbaj. In um, Arabic cookbooks, it means uh, it's a dish with a cooked main ingredient, which is usually fish or meat, served in an acidic vinegar sauce. And our words, ceviche, mm-hmm. escabeche, escabeche, and aspic, all derive 
from that term sigbaj. Okay. So even those hey. those uh, even the terminology has moved on. <laughs> um, yeah, what are the, your favorite ingredients um, to cook with? Ooh, <laughs> that is difficult. <laughs> well, yeah, it is difficult. <laughs> do you find that? Uh, do you find cooking, um, enjoying creating stuff with, um, uh, like, um, with fruits and vegetables, or with the, the stew type meats like uh, for uh, lamb or beef? I'm, and I'm, so I'm, on? I'm extremely seasonal. And so, mm. so is my cuisine. I really have want to eat differently in the, like in, in winter, I cook a lot. We have a fireplace. I cook a lot in the fireplace. We have this ceramic vessels that are used traditionally yeah. in Puglia to cook in the fireplace. And I use, I make stews all the time with all these, with fava beans and other beans and chickpeas that boil the whole day, that simmer slowly. Mm. And then you simmer add a lot slowly, of other yeah. ingredients. So this is winter cuisine. And then there's summer cuisine that is all about fresh vegetables and salads and, uh, and these kind of things. And spring, of course, you have all the spring, spring vegetables. Then, of course, being between two seas, uh, we have uh, very good fish here. That's also not bad. <laughs> that's excellent as well yeah that's excellent <laughs> when do we find um uh, the first uh, reference um for garum do you have an idea about that oh huh. um when is really the first no i couldn't i couldn't say um hmm. Especially also as the terminology is a little fishy. Yeah. <laughs> because, of, I mean, you have, the, you have also the Greek uh, sauces, and then it's not clear what is the difference between garum and liquamen, and that also shifts during time, that apparently in mm -hmm. late antiquity, liquamen is certainly not garum anymore. Um, mm -hmm. But therefore, I really couldn't pinpoint it, but it's an interesting question. I would guess that um, the Greek sources are the first, but which one, I don't know. Yeah, and probably as well as Greeks, probably Carthaginians as well, they were making mm. something similar. Mm. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's anyone guesses, <laughs> really. It could be. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah five, six hundred BC or yeah. something like that. But yeah. It okay. certainly um, is an old process, but like of, of written sources, I, I, I have no idea. Yes, exactly. We don't yeah. have uh, a very specific about the, the written sources. And um, I mean, I find it kind of. Um, so obviously, uh, we know fish sauce from Thailand and Vietnam nowadays, yeah. and a lot of people use it as a. I use it a lot of times for as a yeah. replacement yeah. for the for the garum. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's kind of similar, uh, at least the idea behind it. I, I think. I don't know. I find it fascinating anyway. That, Apparently uh, the process is very, very similar. It's basically the same. This is also what I uh, uh, recommend in my cookbooks to, to use mm. if people want to use fish sauce because that, that mm. you can get basically anywhere in the world now. Yeah. Yeah, it's very easy to find, <laughs> finally. Uh, <laughs> very, very funny, very interesting. Uh, I just find it fascinating that <laughs> such an ingredient... Yeah. can exist yeah 
Talking about availability, that is actually a point I find very uh, important because, I mean, if you think about the, the world of uh, historical cuisine, there are two fractions, right? There are the fundamentalists, if I may say so, that want to have everything 100% correct and you may not move from there. And then I'm more from the other faction, let's say the realists, because... First of all, I think we cannot be 100% accurate. It is simply impossible because, as I said, simply the ingredients have changed. Uh, we, yeah. we lack information. And we can, we can try to get as close as possible. But even there, I would try... I mean, what I'm doing in my, both in my videos and in my books is trying to make those recipes accessible for everybody. Trying yeah. to um, use recipes that you can do in a normal household cuisine with ingredients that uh, uh, you can that are available that you can find, and also giving options in order to make it more palatable for us. It doesn't make yes. I think sense to to cook something or to propose to cook something that nobody would like to eat. I mean, I know mm. an extreme example in. Um, in Switzerland, in the biblical archaeology, there was uh, someone at university who did also these kind of things. But he, for example, he mixed sand into the flour because he said this came from grinding. It was sandy. He put uh. algs into the water to show people how uh, a cistern water would have tasted after it stood a year in the sun and these kind of things. And um, apart from that it wasn't nice, I think it is in so far not really correct because people would have always sought to make food as good as possible. Yeah, you're right on that. No, I mean, I um, and this is why I, I rather yeah. opt to alter things a little bit to make them available and palatable for us. Yeah, yeah, it's at least palatable, even most of the time you want to make them delicious exactly <laughs> that's, that's <it>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> delicious is so, a better yeah. term yes <laughs> yeah so i understand that complete i'm with you i think i'm completely with uh, that kind of uh, the realists <laughs> good <laughs> on that respect yeah 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 uh, I, I, was, mean, I was criticized a bit for for example for with the stuffed dormice for not using dormice <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't criticize you there. No. <laughs> what did you use at the end? I have two different versions that I made. One in the video and the other one in the book. Once I used rabbit, which of yeah. course is much bigger, but mm. still, then you, you cut it into pieces. Or to have these small ones, I simply used slices of meat, and it was more or less more to show the filling. And then you wrap this mm. into the, the yeah. slices of meat, and then you could. Had like little yeah. meat dolma, basically. Yeah. Yeah, okay. but but dormice mm. are absolutely impossible. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. And I think um, also the in general, not us, but I think overall we try to think of the past or the people of the past a bit more simple. But in in reality, they had genius, ingenious techniques. And they had a lot of complex set of skills that they could, you know, cook or make the food palatable and make it tasty. And the knowledge of using the fire to cook something and uh, the technology they had, they made the best of it, basically. So it was always something um, we can learn, basically, from them. 
Yes, and importantly, very importantly, they had time. Mm. Because a lot of dishes, actually, they require some preparation time. And yeah, it didn't yeah. have this, now everything has to go fast and you come back from the office and you have to quickly make up something. No, you have to, with many of these recipes, you have to plan ahead. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things, I suppose it was over the fire, the fire was burning all day, mm -hmm. uh, you had it to warm the house, you had it to warm water and all that stuff. So yeah, it, it was something that was slow and yeah. yeah, long. Of course, of course, yeah. It's a different mentality. It is. Slow food, slow food. Mm, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm an advocate of uh, slow <laughs> food, actually. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have a microwave at home. <laughs> I don't think I've ever used a microwave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even using the oven, I feel a bit... Uh, I'm cheating now. I should really be using the barbecue outside or the fire. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. That's, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. We got a bread. We got a bread oven here. It's relatively recent. We finally made a, yeah. a wood oven for bread and pizza and all these kind of ah, stuff. It's, how nice. It's wonderful. It's really nice. We use that a lot. <laughs> how nice. <laughs> Excellent. Um, <clears throat> right. Don't know. I mean, I want to ask you something else if I forgot now. <laughs> but um, um, I mean, is, is there anything that you you would like to? Okay, where was I? Um, the the reason why I'm doing it is that I think that an everyday um, occupation like like cooking is a great way to to hook into history you know to get people mm -hmm. interested in in history and history for me importantly as an archaeologist especially is not the history of of kings and queens and lords and masters but the history of uh common people everyday life yeah and this is what people did every day people had to eat they had to cook they had to plant things they had to farm they had to uh, work with whatever was available. And uh, this is also what I want to transmit. And by transmitting different concepts of cooking, which are always connected to, for example, uh, concepts of, uh, of health, like I was talking about the four humors, for example. Yeah. So these ancient recipes give you an idea about how people lived and what they thought and uh, what they did every day. I, 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 th I find it's a very nice way to do so. And what I'm doing, what I want to do, let's put it like this, is to take those recipes and make them available for people in their daily lives. Uh, that you don't need yeah. to have a special oven, very special ingredients that you, you can't find anywhere, no dormice, but really that uh, uh, to have recipes that you can cook in an average kitchen with normal, more or less normal ingredients. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's exactly the, the knowledge of uh, the everyday people, how they lived yeah. and how, how they, yeah, what did they eat, how did they work and so on yeah which is <laughs> with something we yeah we, we miss from our history books and completely it's kind of yeah make it they make them very dry and not many people are interested in actual <laughs> learning about history i think because of that reason because of that yeah <laughs> okay. you only, it's yeah you're about the, the kings and queens yeah yeah numbers exactly 
Uh, absolutely, yeah. Great, fantastic. Uh, so I guess on that note, we can uh, <laughs> end our discussion for today. It was fantastic talking okay. to you. It was very nice to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, if you want to tell um, to the audience or the people, where, where, the, where can they find you, your email address, your, um, your website, and how they can visit you and so on? Yes, I do have a YouTube channel with recipes. It's called Ursula's Historical Recipes. Brilliant. I have a website, trulucicerone.com, which is actually the website of my B&B, but also of everything else that I do. So it's a little mixed. You, you can find everything via there. From there, you can also see my books, uh, etc. Yeah, great. And obviously, people can, uh, can contact it contact you via the website yes, you have exactly. the email address yes, and exactly. uh, they can uh, find out if they can stay there and cook and learn basically exactly that would of course be nice now that we can finally travel again we are really hoping yeah. to to host a lot of guests this year again excellent good <laughs> luck with that uh, thank you i wish you have many many people <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much it was very nice You're talking welcome. to you excellent thank you uh, have a lovely evening. And, um, Thank you, you too. Okay. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have a lovely evening. Thank bye. you, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Dory Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.